Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. James chapter 4. Y'all have a good time up there. Moms and dads, you can get them uh, in the jam room that is at the end of the kids' hall. Uh, please, please go get them. Don't leave them up until tonight for fall. Don't, like, go get them, okay? Take them home, let them nap, then bring them back, okay? That'd be great. Uh, James chapter 4, we're going to finish chapter 4 uh, today. And I actually want to start in verse 10. So uh, I don't think that's in the Bible app. I think we, uh, I cut it off at verse 11. But um, here's what verse 10 says. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, the reason why that's important is because that is umbrella stuff for where we've been. In the first part of James chapter 4, he's talking about worldliness and, um, and, and giving our lives not to the world, but to God. And the, one of the expressions of that is our humbling ourselves, our submitting ourselves, our, our giving ourselves to God to say, God, please, you be the one who's in charge of this. This will show back up here in a little bit. This is umbrella stuff, though. And when we humble ourselves, what happens? God will exalt us. If we go for the exaltation, we, fi- we wind up being humbled. But if we humble ourselves, then God exalts us. This is how this goes. So it's umbrella for where we've been. It's also foundational for what he's going to say today. Because humbling ourselves uh, is a part of how then we... we, um, uh, He's going to specifically um, do some instructing on on speaking and, and the speech that we have. Humbling ourselves then affects the posture of our heart, which affects the way that we speak. Okay? So James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you now. The text of the day, verse 11, don't speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law. You're a judge. There's only one lawgiver and one judge. And he who is able, that is he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So the, the, the summary, humble yourself before the Lord, he'll exalt you, now gives us an expression, has its expression in the things that we, some of the things that we say. Now, if you'll remember right, because I know you all remember correctly, that a few weeks ago in James chapter 3, he had some things to say about how we talk to one another. Hey, the tongue is fire. Be careful or you'll burn your life down. Hey, the tongue is like a rudder of a ship. It will steer you in some bad ways if you're not careful. Uh, do, does anybody recall this? Everybody, everybody who was here, everybody remembers this. So why in James chapter 3, if he said that, and we all remember this, all of us, why in James chapter 3, if he said that, why, why is he repeating it in James chapter 4? We're pretty good at forgetting this stuff, yeah? And just in case you thought, oh, I got this whipped, he adds a little couple of nuances today where you're like, uh, okay, so maybe there's some work that still needs to be done. Okay, so here's where we are. We're going to talk about evil talk first in chapter 11, excuse me, in verse 11. I, I picked this up from this phrase, don't speak evil. Now, uh, my little parentheses here, just like we did when we did the um, tongue stuff in James chapter 3. Um, if you're thinking about only the vocalization that comes out of your mouth, this is what he's talking about. He's not just talking about this. He is talking about the full communication package. He is talking about not only your nonverbal communication, but the mediums or the media through which um, you'd communicate. So he's, yes, talking about your vocalizations, also about the faces that you make or 
Um, the hand gestures that you use at other drivers um, on the Gulf Freeway, or uh, um, the, the uh, uh, things that you post or text or think about posting or t- so this this is the idea do not um, speak sign uh, post text evil against one another this is the idea it's the entire communication package brothers and sisters the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law judges the law but if you judge the law you're not a doer of the law but a judge there's only one lawgiver and judge he who is able to save and destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor so um, this, this word judgment comes up a lot. And I want to just kind of work this through here. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the definition of judgment. Um, here in a minute, I'm going to say there are some specific ways that uh, God uh, allows judgment to happen between humans. But for the most part, judgment takes a kind of bad tone in the New Testament. It certainly has a bad tone here in our um, cultural moment. And so I just want to recognize that that what then would be judgment as he's describing it. Look at verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and destroy. That, that phrase, those two things, to save and destroy, those are the things that kind of stick together when it comes to judgment. Lawgiver and judge, oh, what, what would that look like? Well, to save and destroy. So judgment in the New Testament looks something along the lines of taking the prerogative to pronounce the worth of something or someone. Ju- the definition of judgment, best I can tell, is taking the prerogative, me taking the prerogative to announce the worth or pronounce the worth uh, of something or someone. That is to be able to speak yes or no to someone, to save or to destroy, to speak you are in or you are out, to speak um, life or death, to speak freedom or condemnation. And so when it comes to evil talk, and, I, and I'm, I'm setting myself up as the arbiter of a yes and no over somebody's life, of freedom or condemnation over somebody's life, when I'm taking the prerogative to pronounce the worth, I am taking the prerogative to save or destroy, and it's not really mine. And he says back in verse 11, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother uh, speaks evil against the law. Did you see that? You speak evil against the law. What would that sound like? Well, that's an old way of thinking. Listen, man, times have really changed. Um, I'm not so sure that this is as true as you think it is. Did God really say that this is? Hey, it won't happen like that. This is not how this goes. We're speaking evil against the law. But not just speaking evil against the law, the very next phrase is, and judging the law. When I, when I am taking the prerogative uh, to pronounce worth on something, what, then what I'm doing is also taking the law into my own hands. I'm speaking evil against it, and I'm judging it. So from, we move from, I, it's not, I, it, excuse me, it is not, I just don't believe this. It's also to, I just don't care. We're, we're moving from that, that from I don't believe, I don't care. And I am therefore no longer a doer, as it says at the end of verse 11. I am now the arbiter of this. I no longer walk in the way of wisdom that uh, God has provided for me. I'm the one who's saying, eh, it's not so wise. The the problem, I think, um, at least in my heart, let me just speak for me and see if this plays in anybody else's life. The problem in my heart is um, I'm an American constitutional guy. Like separation of powers, I'm a fan of this. Anybody with me? 
Yes. Okay, good. A constitutional republic, separation of powers. I don't want all the power located in one place. I know how jacked up people are. You know, I mean, this is messed up. Like we could really get ourselves off in a wreck if there was a dictator, right? Or a monarchy or whatever. Okay. So I'm a separation of powers guy. The, there's a law, uh, a lawgiver over here, the legislative body. And then there's the judicial body that is responsible for um, arbitrating that, right? Well, this is how I think when it comes to God's law. Hey, God, you give the law, you function as a legislative branch, I'll take up the judgment part. I'm over here, thank you, that's a good law, that's a good law. I now am the one with the robe and the gavel that says, hey, you know what, you people over there, y'all ain't doing it right. I have taken the prerogative to pronounce worth. Some people, that's the way that it goes. God, you give us the law. I'll be the judge of whether or not they're fulfilling it. Some people, though, and again, you, you uh, th- I mean, that, that particular way is the way that I grew up. Some people, though, you're, you're reversed. God, you be the judge. It shows up in this phrase. Only God can judge me. And he will judge me on the basis of the law that I pass. Funny enough, I always meet my own standard. Anybody? Not really, but I pretend I do. Because my own standard has to do with something like my sincerity, my authenticity, uh, my intentions. Um, I, you know, I, God, I, I really meant to. Like, like, so judge me on the basis. Only God could judge me. And he's going to do it on the basis of the things that I give him to judge me on. Strangely, I'll always have a passing grade. So uh, if you grew up with God, the legislator and you, the judge, or God, the judge and you, the legislator, I just want to say, I recognize that this is this separation of powers thing is kind of innate to us and our American um, uh, way of thinking. This is not the way the Bible works. Look at the beginning of verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge. Like those two things are together. And guess what? You're not that person. God is the one with the legislative power as well as the judicial power, and they are not separated. He alone has them. None of this... Well, so so the the kind of ethical thing that James is pointing at, the the thing that we're supposed to do, is to be very, very careful about how we step forward in pronouncing worth, taking the pride of pronounced worth on people. None of this surrenders discernment because that's almost immediately the response that I get from people who grew up in religious backgrounds. Um, They're like, well, I mean, don't you think we need to be discerning? Yes, you absolutely need to be discerning. But but my capacity and um, even inclination to pronounce worth, to take the prerogative to pronounce worth, does, does not, does not fulfill what James is talking about here. Um, th- th- therefore, that we need to understand the context. And so um, I'm going to say this now, and I'm going to say it again here in a minute. The vast majority of the teaching on the New Testament regarding judgment is bad. Like, don't do this to others. That's what he's saying. There are specific instances in which God, um, in his wisdom, entrusts judgment to others. Okay? So the Father entrusts 
judgment to Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 22, uh, the Father judges all, and he has given that judgment, that uh, power to judge into my hands. Jesus trusts it to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Hey, listen, y'all are um, going to, uh, to uh, uh, court about stupid stuff. Don't do that. Don't you know the church is going to judge angels even? Like, we're in charge of these things. Surely y'all can settle this dispute in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He also gives it... Um, excuse me, in limited uh, scope to the government. So church judges spiritual things. The government has um, kind of social issues that they're supposed to care for to reward good and to punish evil. Like that's kind of the thing. Romans chapter 13, verses two to four. But in light of that, if, if, if he passes off the capacity to judge, how well should we steward that? Pretty dang well. Like there's important stuff that happens there. But most of the time in the New Testament, Judgment is negative because it's me pronouncing worth or lack thereof on another human, on another person that God has died, sent Jesus to die for, on another person that God has made in his image. This is why it's negative. And even these exceptions here of the context, e even that, they actually kind of prove the rule. Those are just very specific specific things. The broad approach to this is I don't take responsibility to pronounce worth on somebody else. I don't take the prerogative to do that. Okay. And so back up, up to verse 11 again, don't speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters, meaning what? Meaning there is an audience of judgment. And what is this? What is he specifically talking about? Um, he's specifically talking about, uh, like internally within the church. Don't do this brothers and sisters. There's an internal focus that has external impact. Some people think, well, we're not to, you know, speak into moral issues or speak into righteousness or those kind of things out there. And that's not true at all. But this primarily in here, this, this is what we're talking about here. There's an internal focus. And yes, it has external impact. And most of the, most of the time, folks, most of the time, uh, the impact that it has can be negative. Because if we f fuss and fight with one another, if we're judgmental um, towards one another, if we sound like the rest of the world sounds internally, we lose the contrast that makes the life in the kingdom attractive to others. If our tenor and tone sounds the exact same as all the other arguments that are being had out there, um, if, if the temperament which we take is the exact same temperament of all the other arguments that are being had in the world right now, then we're no different than the world and there's no reason that they should get up and come worship with us. There's no reason they should listen to a guy named Jesus. There's no, there's no reason they should believe that Jesus has actually changed our lives because we're just like them. You say, and this is, this is the one thing that I hear so much these days, because fear, <laughs> fear is a liar, but it sells. But there's so much at stake. Yeah, there is so much at stake. So much so that I don't want to win at the cost of my character. It's like James knew that we may struggle with these kind of things. And so church family, there, listen, your character will far outlast your victory. Do not, do not surrender your character on the altar of victory. Don't do it. 
Don't do it. When I judge my brother or my sister or my neighbor, I end up being the kind of person who actually deserves judgment myself. Jesus famously in the Sermon on the Mount, this is where um, his kind of condensed teaching about this is. Pages sticking together. Here we go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Listen. Judge not that you don't be judged. This is exactly the word that he's using here. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure, the standard that you use, it will be measured back to you. So when I'm judging, when I'm pronouncing judgment, when I'm speaking um, a yes or a no, when I, when I am taking the prerogative um, to pronounce worth over something or someone, then that very same standard is, is what I am setting myself up for. When I judge others, I am setting myself up to be judged. Here's the famous part, if you know this is the part. Um, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take the speck out of your eye when you've got a log. Like, oh, hey, you got something in your eye? Here, here, here. Let me see it. The two by four coming out of my head is really going to make this difficult, but hold still. I'm not going to entrust myself to somebody like that. Exactly. Exactly. You hypocrite, he says. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. You get the idea, right? The, the idea is simply, when I judge... I'm setting myself up to be judged. That's that as a person who deserves judgment. So uh, again, none of this, none of this surrenders godly leadership. Uh, excuse me, godly discernment. But the leadership of the Holy Spirit will then lead us to you know make this kind of application. So this is the last thing that I want to say um, is regarding the sound. I made a list here out of the New Testament. What, like, what would this actually sound like? Like. See, see if any of these hit. This is what it may sound like. Um, to speak evil or evil talk can sound like lying about or lying to someone. All of these are in the sermon notes. Um, you, you can pull them up uh, online here later today. Um, to lie about or lie to someone. That's evil talk. To slander someone. To misrepresent them. You're not saying false things. You're just saying some of the things that make you look the best or make your argument look the best. Gossiping about that person. That's evil talk. To gossip about that person is evil talk. To quarrel with them. Like, hey, this isn't my fight, eh, but I like to fight. So I'm stepping in to do this, right? Arguing for argument's sake. Let me, take, let me play devil's advocate here. Like that kind of stuff. Or... <laughs> Boy, this happens a lot in our culture. Creating clamor around them. Hey, your life seems to be going just fine. I don't like that. I'm going to spin some of this stuff up by talking around you so that there's kind of clamor, distraction um, around you. Uh, making them the butt of jokes. Now, this is not like you and me friendly kidding. I mean, this is genuinely trying to degrade them or denigrate them through making them the butt of jokes. Um, talking obscenely in their presence. That's evil talk. This is what this sounds like. Speaking with malice or contempt, anger gets rage hot, right? I mean, just fiery. Malice and contempt are ice cold. Um, falsely accusing people. That is evil talk. Repeating unsubstantiated content is evil talk. 
Repeating unsubstantiated content is evil talk. Reposting unsubstantiated content. What about demanding their attention? That's evil talk. Like they're having a moment and all of a sudden, because they're having a moment, we become like, like relational, communicable, uh, communicative, spiritual toddlers. Hey, 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 look at me. I'm speaking impatiently to someone. That's evil talk. Over-talking. This is, this is going to happen at Thanksgiving to some of us. You're going to be at the Thanksgiving table. Somebody's going to be telling a story. Somebody else, while person A is still telling the story, is filling in what they feel like are necessary details. And you're like, listen, my ears are not stereo. I can't do left and right all at the same time. Like just one person at a time, please. If there are details that they miss, you can have your turn in just a moment. Or they just overtalk. No, that only happened. Okay, a couple of you. How about responding dismissively? The reason overtalk is, 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 is evil because um, it, it is its own version of dismissive. But then I respond dismissively. Pfft, whatever. Or, one of my favorites, um, turning the conversation from them to you. Well, yeah, I know this is going on in your life. Can I tell you, though, about that? That doesn't honor them as a person created in God's image. It doesn't honor them as a person who um, uh, uh, is trying to say something. It doesn't even honor the ministry opportunity that may be presenting itself in front of you. This is what um, judgment can sound like. It's what evil talk can sound like. That's all stuff from the New Testament there. Um, Okay, so uh, before we run away, let me just say this one thing. Um, I, I point us backward to a few weeks ago. The, the, the problem with the mouth is not a mouth problem. It's a heart problem. That's right. It's a heart problem. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So to deal with those kinds of things, yes, it may require you putting duct tape on your mouth a little bit, but for the most part, it's going to require stuff that's going to happen in here. That's evil talk. Okay. We also have arrogant talk. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. Don't be arrogant. Here we go. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Let's just pause here for a second. There is a problem with planning. Okay. And did you see the plan? I mean, there's, there's, look at verse 13. There's a plan. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow. So there's a time frame. Uh, we will go into such and such a town. There's a direction, time frame, today or tomorrow. Um, direction, we're going into such and such a town. Uh, we'll spend a year there and trade. So we have an activity and purpose. We're going to make a profit. So we've got timetable, direction, um, activity, and purpose. All of that's a good plan. Those are all components of a fantastic plan. Here's the problem with planning. It's not having a plan. It's that, look at verse 14. The, the, the problem with verse 13 is actually verse 14. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You are fully 100% not in control. You think that you're up 5-0 with your ace on the mound in game one and all is well. 
Oh, see, James is talking to us now. He's talking to us. You think, you think you're all right, but you are not in control. You're just not. A little too soon? Listen, it's 1-1. This is all part of the plan because they don't want to win at game four in Philly. They want to come home and win. Are you with me on this? Okay, it's fine. It'll be fine, people. Don't worry about it. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You are not in control. You are not in control of your health. As much as you would like to be, you are not in control of your wealth and money. Anybody ride the stock market uh, roller coaster over the past couple of months? You, you are not in control of your kids. You are not in control of your family. You are not in control of the weather. You are not in control of the governments around us. If we were in control, everything would be better, right? This is the deal. This is how you're like, I could do this right. I'm not so sure about that. You're not in control. That's what he says. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's the problem. That's one of the problems with planning. But, don't miss this part. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time. And then vanishes. In other words, your existence is very fragile. We're at that time of year. I love it. Um, where, you know, you are out driving in the morning, like before the sun really, really gets up. And if you cross any body of water, a creek, a drainage ditch, whatever, like you, you, you see that there's mist kind of hovering right down there where it's cooler. Sun gets up and it goes away, right? This is, this is what our life is like. J- James says, man, it's a, it's a beautiful moment, and then it's gone. Your existence is fragile. Uh, we are just passing through. We are temporary. We are, um, uh, our, our lives change in an instant, and the time frame is shorter than we anticipate. It is very transient, and it's intangible, meaning what? Like that mist, you can't grab a hold of it. Some of us think if we have enough or if we build enough, that's my life. No, 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 it's not your life. It's not. Outside of an internet meme, there really are no U-Hauls behind hearses. You can't do it that way. So that's the problem with planning. Here's the invitation, because there is an invitation here. Instead, you ought to say, there's the invitation. You, you ought to say this. Oh, okay, well, what is that? Okay, so let's just pause here and say, um, for all of you engineers in here, who have not only have plans, but you have backup plans and you got redundancies for the backup plans and you got redundancies, other redundancies to make sure that the thing goes like you're supposed to. For all you engineers in here, please hear me. God is not anti-plan. He's not. If that makes you feel better, you can just take a big, deep... God is not anti-plan. How do you know that? Well, um, I just pulled together some Proverbs and just listen. This is wisdom stuff. Of 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to abundance. So God has a plan, like he wants you to be a planner. 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. 15.22, without counsel, plans fail, but in an abundance of counselors um, or advisors, there's victory. Uh, 10 verse 5, if, and this is timetable stuff. If you gather in summer, uh, you're a prudent son, but the one who sleeps during harvest, yeah, you bring shame. Okay, so on and on and on. God is not anti-plan. Please hear me. He's not anti-plan. Um, the, the arrogance is not in the plan. God, I've got a timetable. I've got a direction. 
Uh, I've got an activity. I've got kind of a purpose in this. Uh, and so I'm I, like, I got all this stuff together here. I know you're not anti-plan. Even the verse that's on your coffee cup, on your shelf at home. For I know the plans. That's exactly right that I have for you, declares the Lord. Like you, I, I got the, like you, not anti-plan. The struggle is not in having the plan. The struggle is in saying, okay, so God, I need you on my timetable and on my direction and on my activity and on my purpose. I need you to get on board with my stuff. The invitation, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Our our plan, if you will, begins with submission. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Instead, you ought to say, God, I mean, I, I, I've done my best to lay this out. But honestly, you know better than me. So I'm going to submit all of this to you. I, God, this is in your hands, not mine. God, the timetable is yours, not mine. Anybody? I, if, I'm, if I'm honest... Like, it's not direction stuff that I struggle with. It's timetable stuff. Let's move this thing along here, God. Come on. Our plan begins with submission. And then secondly, look at verse uh, 17 here. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's sin. So our plan then culminates in doing what's right, no matter what that is. Well, God, this was my plan. I was like, well, well, you need to shift this a little bit. Yeah, 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 but that's not my plan. This is my plan. Well, that that plan is not as good as it should be. It needs to be this. Well, uh, our plan culminates in doing what's right. And that's really when it says the invitation to planning, in planning. That's the invitation today. It's for you to look at your life and go, is there something about my life that I need to just look and go, God, this is, this is you. You do what you want to do here. You do exactly what you want to do here. I've got a plan, but it's in your hands. I've got some stuff written down, but really the truth is I can't control any of that and it may go away tomorrow. I want to do what you want to do. Our lives are so fragile. Why would we live any other way? Why would we live any other way? And the reality is, folks, is that God's not just asking us to do this. He's done it himself. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed. And what did he say? If there's any other way that this can happen, that would be a good plan. (laughs) Nevertheless, not my will, God, but yours, Father, but yours be done. Jesus has done this. It's exactly what he did in the garden. He submitted himself to the Father, and then he did what was right so that you and I could experience life with him. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, the invitation is to simply submit. Maybe you've got a plan. Maybe you've got other stuff. Maybe you've got stuff that you're thinking about how you communicate. You submit that to him. If you're not a follower of Jesus in here, you're watching online, I want you to know that today can be the day that you give your life to Christ. He will forgive you of your sin and come in and take over and help you to live a whole new kind of life, a life marked with the consequential nature of eternity. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll have a song to respond. Would you join me? Um, Father, as we uh, put a bow on chapter four here, I, I 
ask that um, the things that have been said could come and uh, get really sticky in a place that we need them to stick. They would lodge there. They would grow in the ways that they need to grow in order to um, deal with some of the things that don't belong there. Father, would you help us to, to not um, give a, uh, the, kind, the kind of talk, the kind of verbal expression that echoes and, and, and um, patterns itself after the world. We don't need to talk like that. We live in a different kingdom altogether. Help us, Father, not to be arrogant, but instead to be thoughtful in how we respond. how we plan. Would you please, by your spirit, please put your finger wherever it needs, wherever we need something pointed out. We pray like the psalmist prayed, search us, oh God, try us. Search us. If there's anything in us that doesn't belong there, help us with that. And then instead, God, lead us in the way that's everlasting. We give this to you now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.